Ladies and gentlemen, this is Walter Poppy, the host of the Go to Market podcast, where we break down strategies and tactics with founders, revenue operators, and investors to get actual insights to make your go to market plans faster and more predictable. In this episode, we have Amy Balls, the CEO and founder of Avenue Talent Partners, co host of Thursday Night Sales, and a contributor for Sales Hacker and Modern Sales Pro. If you are not following Amy on LinkedIn, you are missing out on tons of value from advice on how to hire to how to grow your business. In this episode, we dig into lessons of being a first-time founder, vetting A players, and her approach to writing. Tons of great information, and I hope you enjoy the episode. And if you do, please go ahead, subscribe, and write us a review so we can reach more listeners like you. Now, to the show. All right, Amy, welcome to the show. Walter, thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, to start off with on a number of different shows, I've heard you a lot talk a lot about how your experience as an enterprise sales rep has prepared you to be a CEO of your company. And I would like to kind of hear more on how did that experience prepare you and what are some of the things that you do now that is similar to when you were a rep? So um, yeah, enterprise sales is my first business love. And through that, uh, I was not just a rep, but I was also in leadership, always for enterprise. And um, when I think about the things that have made me successful as an entrepreneur, there's a couple of things. So one, enterprise sales to be really successful for the long haul, you have to celebrate the long game. It's not just a high velocity, transactional, set it and forget it, shove people in, convince people to buy deals at the end of the month, but wait, there's more. Um, That's stuff that I just have never, ever identified with or believe in philosophically and fundamentally, regardless of what kind of sales we're talking about. Um, And that mindset of the long game has served me really, really well as an entrepreneur. That coupled with thinking about things strategically and not thinking about things as a one size fits all and really seeking to understand the dynamics of things served me really well. Um, And then the third thing is I come from the old school that the over-segmentation, and yes, I think sales is over-segmented. Different episode for a different day, my friend, but- um, (laughs) Look forward to it. (laughs) sign me up. Um, But I come from the old school of having to do all the jobs myself. So I was my own SDR. I was my own AE. I was my own sales engineer. I was my own solutions consultant. I was my own demo person. I was my own post sale. I was my own uh, customer success person. Like all of those things I had to do and I had to do well. So like land and expand, that mentality is not lost on me. And it's just as important to get something new 
as it is to keep what you worked so hard to get in the first place. So those three pillars flash forward. And this is my second venture that I started. My first one I failed miserably at. Um, and I learned a lot of lessons. And uh, I feel like as much as that was horrible and hard and pushed me to every limit and it wasn't easy and it's the stuff that nightmares are made out of. Um, I'm grateful for that because then those lessons as an entrepreneur for the first time, plus all of my experience, I then had to recover. I chose not to, to be in sales leadership and to go back to where the action was and that's with the customer directly. And so I've always loved that. Um, again, another thing that served me well, like customer holds the keys. I'm not here to assume what they want or what they need. Like I got to listen to them. Um, and so five plus years ago, when I started Avenue Talent Partners, all of those things served me really, really well. How I do what I do though, is a little different. So like back in the day, content wasn't the same thing as it is today. Um, and I absolutely have leaned into that and celebrated that. So like that's one of the things that I do now, but it's using all those lessons that I learned to talk about it out loud. So long drawn out story to no. a short question. No, there's, that's a really, no, that's great because there's a lot of different tangents that uh, I want to kind of go off of. Uh, first one is you said there were a lot of lessons that you learned from your first adventure and in particular, like what were some of those lessons and how did you apply it into your current adventure? Oh my gosh. Uh, where do I start? So I had a business partner at the time. My business partner was an old boss and a mentor. Uh, and one of the lessons that I learned was even when things don't work out, as long as you're being straight up and honest and you're trying to do the right things, it doesn't have to be a disaster. And literally like he stayed with the business. I did not. I was one half of the funding. This was an election year. The market segment that we were in was absolutely associated with that. It was for managed care organizations. <laughs> Healthcare was a big topic in 2008. Um, and then the autos, they were about to collapse and the majority of our clients had their biggest contracts were with autos. So if they collapsed, they would collapse. Like it was like this whole thing. And I had uh, created in a very short amount of time because it was a space that we had come from a seven figure pipeline that dried up in over two weeks. Hmm. Um, I did not have a good plan B because I didn't think that we would need one because I was a little cocky from being honest of like, oh, we're going to an industry where we are known and where people loved working with us and we actually want to come back to it and make it better. Awesome. And he, Darren is his name, is everything that I'm not and vice versa. And you put us together and it's like magic. And so yeah, we were cocky. We're like, yeah, we got this in the bag. And of course, then people start responding. And so why would I ever think that we would hit a major recession? Why, why would I think that? Um, and nobody thought that at the time. And even when you're entering into things, when it's like a boom and it's, it's good, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't have a backup plan. And so that is something that I have done and it helped me get through this year, um, having backup plans. Like if the worst case happens and all holy hang breaks loose, how do you get through it? Do you have a backup plan? If you don't have a backup plan, 
like time to start thinking about that. So like, that's the biggest thing for me is it's not like all the fun stuff that you learn. It's like the stuff when it gets really difficult, what you learn. And so like step one is if I didn't have Darren in my life, regardless of being a business partner or not, I would, I would not, I would be really bummed out. Like it would be a bad deal uh, for a lot of different reasons, personally and professionally. I had to step away from a business that we decided to do together that I was one half investor in, one half partner in. That was hard. My ego, like all the things. And the fact that I just talked to him last week, like is amazing, you know? So like there's that. So sometimes things don't work out. It doesn't mean that you have to be a jackhole, as I like to say, <laughs> and bridges along the way. That's step one. And step two is just like the plan. And I think we can all agree that this year, if you didn't start thinking about adapting to a plan B, you're probably in trouble. So. No, you, uh, uh, in preparation, I, I saw a great article that you wrote talking about adjusting. How do you think about the customer? I mean, you brought it up the customer early on and how to pivot. It sounds like your first adventure, you didn't have the right uh, park market fit and the market kind of changed on you, you know, in two weeks. So it's difficult to find that. Uh, when you get those type of things, uh, we I'd did have the right. So it's interesting, and it's a good point to make. We actually did have the right product market fit, um, and it wasn't a product; it was a service. So that's a whole different ball of wax, right? People wanted it, but when there are things that happen in the marketplace, that like pandemic this year, like mm -hmm. I could want it all day long, and I could know that it helps me. But if all of a sudden what's happening in the ecosystem, it's like, if you're selling to hospital systems and they're like, yeah, you know what? I need your technology so that I can do a better job of administering care for cancer patients, let's say. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden it's a pandemic and everything that's not essential, i.e. COVID, gets shut down. You could have that fit. There could be that need, but nobody's doing a darn thing because of what's going on. That was my reality of like, we love you. We're glad that you guys are back together. We're not going to be thinking about this for another two and a half years because we need to see what happens in the recession. We need to see what happens with the autos and we need to see what happens in an election of how healthcare is going to change. And at that time, Obamacare was a thing. And like, think about all the regulation and all the things that changed with that. So that, not to get geeked out of things that don't matter for this podcast, but like you could have product market fit and after the recession, you could still have it. But are you... Do you have plans to get through it? Because just because things change doesn't mean that you throw the baby out with the bathwater and your whole offering changes, especially if you don't know what you don't know and you don't know that you do that well. And now you're trying to create product market fit. That's just as bad as what I went through. So in my mind, it's like, so if the worst case scenario happens and look in my industry, people still ask me to this day. So you own a recruiting firm has this year really been difficult? And I'm like, yeah, so March and April, they were horrible months. I'm good. I'm growing. I just hired somebody. I'm okay. And I don't think I would be able to say that story with the same outcome and the same thing had I not learned the lesson back in 2008 about backup plans. No, that's great. That's a really good lesson and, and good clarification too on being able to pivot, but also having your backup plans. So yeah. speaking about your expertise with recruiting, uh, I know that you're working with a lot of different companies 
Uh, what are you seeing right now that are companies, you know, we could, we're going to go to what people do right, but what do people do wrong right now? Like in general, uh, what are you seeing companies are doing wrong? So I think companies are getting in the way of themselves, meaning there's an assumption that because this year was this year and so many people are out of work that um, I'm just going to go out and find a bunch of people and it's just going to be easy. And here's the thing. I, I work with varying stages of startup from like seed through like B round. And um, in tech, sales is the number one thing that tech companies are hiring for. And so while yes, this happened, it doesn't mean that it's like a fire sale. And so all this bad behavior, of treating people poorly, of bad candidate experience, of using the interview process as a way to figure out what you need because you don't really know what you need and you're afraid to ask for help. Of, um, I, as a founder, am going to try to go on the cheap and save myself a few bucks and recruit for this myself, but I've never done sales. I don't speak the language fluently and I don't even really know how to vet somebody. How are you going to lead your business plus deal with a major response. So I just talked to a client of mine who's recruiting not for a sales role, for a different role. We're recruiting their VP of sales. He's like, I put one job up on LinkedIn. I got a thousand responses. He cares about his employment brand. He's not a dirt bag. The company is good. But when you're running the entire company and you're a founder and they have 10 employees, like he's, he just got his A round. That's why we're, we're doing what we're doing. Do you think he has time to thoughtfully comb through a thousand people? And then, and then, and then, and then, and then like, it just continues on of the things that you need to do in the interview process. A hiring process is just like a sales process. You don't just mm -hmm. wing it. Like, let's look at it this way. And people don't realize this. Could you imagine being like, yeah, you know what? I want to sell some stuff. I don't really know what it is. I'll figure it out along the way. And I'm just going to shoot from the hip and start reaching out to people and they'll buy some stuff. No, no. When you don't know your ICP, when you don't know your TAM, when you don't know, and for those that are listening that don't know what that means, when you don't know your ideal customer profile or your total addressable market or what your buyer really needs, and you're getting caught up in listening to a podcast or reading an article about here's what you should do because this is how you SAS you're in the way of yourself. So that's what I mean by getting in the way of yourself of like fooling yourself into thinking like, I can save a few bucks. Your time is priceless. And once you use it, you can't get it back. And if you're trying to run and scale and grow a company and you think that you can run a hiring process that's thoughtful, that's engaged, that's meaningful, we're living out loud and people talk. And if you treat people poorly consistently, good luck trying to find A players down the road as you really scale. So it's like, the basics of, I think, you know, the basics it, that's missing and people, especially when it comes to sales, um, for my technical founders out there, I love you. But one of the biggest obstacles that you have is you haven't done this role. And this isn't like hiring an engineer where you can give them an exam. And now, you know, if they're smart or not, sales has lots of shades of gray mm -hmm. and Jason Lemkin read it or wrote it the best. There are 48 different kinds of VPs of sales let alone directors, let alone team leads, let alone managers, let alone SVPs, let alone CROs. There are so many different flavors. And then couple that with the startup ecosystem that 
different stages require different work that requires a different kind of VP and there isn't a one size fits all. So the biggest thing that I see is, um, and I'm off on this tangent, sorry, you clearly struggle. Oh no, th this, is, this, is, uh, this is why we do long format. You go off. <laughs> but the thing is, people get caught up in the big statements. So like, let's say I'm this technical founder and I'm brilliant and I've created something amazing and now I need to bring it to market in a meaningful way. And I'm looking at out of the thousand applications that I got, I'm looking at this one and it really stands out to me because this person has had three startups and they've four X growth and they've had a bunch of exits and they're this and they're that. And I've been at 300% to my number for the last 12 years running. I want to hire that person. Well, that person did all of that work at like the C round and you are an A round company and that person's never been at your stage before, you have an issue. Their playbook is, is gonna look very different than yours. They may not necessarily know how to build from scratch. Building something from nothing, and I know this firsthand, is very, very different. So like, I'm ambidextrous and I'm very grateful for that. I did really well when I worked at Yahoo. Yahoo was a Goliath company, a lot of process, a lot of aliases, a lot of groups that could help me, a lot of enablement, like all the things, we had it and we had brand recognition. How I got a seat at the table is very different because I was part of that brand. Then flash forward to the future and I'm employee number something, 20 something at Indeed and I'm their very first enterprise hire to build out that whole thing. And they weren't, investing, they weren't investing in marketing. The only thing that they were focused on was SEO. So knocking on the door, like, so McDonald's, my client in both places, Knocking on the door from Yahoo, very different than when I first started Indeed and nobody knew who they were. So like people don't understand that. And so um, the one thing I would say for any founder listening to this is if you don't know the art and science of sales and all the different flavors and how to have a productive conversation to get under the surface to understand the application of how and then map that back to your task at hand, there's nothing wrong with raising your hand and saying, I don't know. Just like if you were hiring somebody in your company, not everybody knows everything. And you would hope that somebody would raise their hand and say, hey, I don't know and I need some help. You're no different and that's okay. And there's no shame in that. And you rather know now, especially for VPs or sales leadership hires, you rather know now than later when it's a seven figure problem that you're cleaning up, which is a huge driver for my business. And trust me, it's not pretty. No. One thing that with that 48 different flavors of, you know, sales leadership, directors, managers, how should uh, founders and leaders think about creating a team? So um, I think it has to map back to the marketplace that they occupy. Because again, I mean, in that 48 number, that's just for VPs of sales. That's not all of sales leadership. So it's like, well, if I'm a seed round company, chances are if I'm like sub 10 employees, you probably don't need a heavy duty VP of sales, right? Like you're gonna overpay, it's gonna be like not the right fit. So if I'm thinking about how to build a team, like what have I done thus far? Has it been founder led selling and you've got 50 customers? Well, then maybe you do need a VP of sales at the seed stage. Like there's no, it's kind of like a choose your own adventure versus like, this is how you do it. This is the car wash for how to scale a business. Like there, there isn't, it, that mm -hmm. doesn't exist. And so 
if I'm building out a sales team, I want to go straight to where it matters the most. And that's with the customer, because without the customer, you have no business. So are these enterprise customers? Are these customers in a particular vertical? Are these customers that, you know, I read a book and I've loved it and I've read it many times and I recommend it and it's, it's old, but it's so good. It's called Crossing the Chasm. Are your customers like laggards? Are they early adopters? Like where are they in the grand scheme of thinking about you? Are they even thinking about you? Is it a highly visualized sales sale because they've never thought of it before? Or is it something that there are people ahead of you that have already done it so you don't have to educate the value of it, but how you do it is valuable in a different way. Like, what is that? Mm -hmm. And so if you get real clear and right with those particular bits and pieces of the people that write the checks, like that's where the power is, where the money is. So if, if you're thinking about your buyer and what they need and then constructing what you need from there, that's how you build the team. This whole nonsense of like, start out with five hires and the cream will rise to the crop. Why would you do that to automatically bake in churn that's expensive with people that touch your buyer? And especially if you're going after the enterprise where it's sexy because it's big brands, the logo looks good on the pitch deck, and uh, it's a lot of money that you can get coming through. Do you realize that most enterprise deals require integrations? They require customization. If they get audited perhaps by the government, are you able to protect them from that? Is security something that you're thinking about? Like it, it can't just be a plug and play situation because you want to make it easy if your buyer doesn't require something that uh, is the opposite of that. So these are the things. Yeah, no, it, it sounds like, I like how you phrase it of starting with the customer, working back on how to build out the team from there. Um, so going back to your client who received over a thousand applications, uh, you know, obviously you, you, you hit on, what do you need to think about before you start hiring? You've, you've turned on the, uh, the green light, you got a thousand applications. How do you start vetting out? Like, how do you, how do you identify who are the A players that it is the right fit for the team? How do you begin to understand that this is the right person for us? Um, so if you don't know how to do that, I don't know that you will know how to do that, right? So then you hire somebody like me, shameless plug. Oh no, <laughs> plug away. Uh, well, I mean, no, but like, that's why I started my company is like, look, I've got 25 years of sales, enterprise sales, leadership, and startup experience under my belt. I speak that language fluently that absolutely correlates to the vetting search and selection process, right? So mm. if you don't have that wisdom and you don't want to ask for help, I mean, the cheeky side of me wants to say good luck, but right. the helpful side of me says, well, then you really need to get intentional, like with a hiring plan, with a job description that you carefully and thoughtfully and intentionally put together versus, oh, yeah. So I went online and I looked like at a couple different jobs and those look good. So I'm just going to rip off those job descriptions and like insert my company name. And, and that's good enough for us. And it's like, is that though? I don't think so because what you need and why you need it and why your customer needs it is different. So that's one thing. The other thing is to create a scorecard and to use it because what will happen is people start to tell themselves stories. It's kind of like dating, you know, how like, have you ever been on a date, Walter? I've been on a date. Okay. 
So you know how this goes then. So mm -hmm. you go out on a date and let's say it's something like super attractive and you're like, this person's like amazing. And not only are they amazing, but like, I want to spend more time because there's chemistry and they're just like so amazing to look at. And I'm super attracted. So like, yes. But before you ever met this person, you're having beers with your friends and you're like, yeah, I'm ready for that big relationship. And these are the things that I need in a relationship that serve me really well. But then you go on this date and this person's super attractive and you're like, what list? And then <laughs> you know, you fast forward because you want it to be good because you are attractive because there is chemistry there. And that dopamine hit is significant. Mm -hmm. You fast forward seven dates later and then you start having the conversations. And now you're kind of in a relationship and you've invested this time. And now you're finding out, well, wait a second. I want kids. This person hates kids. Um, oh, it slipped out. This person served time in jail. Like now I'm with an ex-con and I'm not really interested in that because they killed their family. You know, Ooh. like, it, like <laughs> <laughs> I'm going dramatic here, but you know what yeah. I'm saying? It's like, that's what the hiring process is for, is for both parties to come together to confirm or deny, to peel back the layers, to get below the surface. Mm -hmm. If you don't know how to do that, you're just rolling the dice. And there's a reason why the sales function churns 3x more than any other field. It's a reason why sales leaders churn within 19 months. You have a perception versus reality problem for both parties. By the way, I'm not here placing blame on founders. It's both people. Like I have a manifesto in my business. If I, if I care more about scaling your business than you do, or if I care more about your career than you do, we have a problem. And so many people just take a laissez-faire backseat approach to something that's really, really important. And so I always say to people like, think about slow down now to go mm -hmm. fast later. And if you don't know what you're doing, ask for help. And if you've been here before and you're like, ah, but I, I wanna make sure that I get it right. Take the time up front to know what you want. Take the time to construct a hiring plan that you don't deviate from. Take the time to understand what that is versus using the process to try to figure it out. I just talked to a founder recently that was like, yes, yeah, so I need a VP of sales. I'm like, oh, great. Tell me more. What have you been doing? For the last nine months, I've been looking. Do you know how many people this person's interviewed? And I'm like, so what, what's falling short? You've been at this for nine months, nine months without a VP of sales at a critical time. Mm. You can't like that. You can't grow. Well, I wanted to save money. Okay, great. So you realize that over nine months, you probably haven't saved money. You've probably spent more money than what you wanted to. And it's held your ability to grow back. But in addition to that, how do you think the candidate experience is? So I was bold enough to say, let's take a little, let's take a little walk over to uh, Glassdoor, see what, what's happening there. Not good. Mm. And people do look at that. Mm -hmm. And while yes, people take things with a grain of salt, if more is icky than good, you have a problem. And so, you know, this person's like, yeah, and um, I want a VP of sales that has scaled to like a hundred million. They're at like 3 million. And that's like three different leaders, four different leaders, maybe between now and that point, like 
And, and we both agreed, like, I'm not the right fit because what he wanted was somebody to just yes him to death, to be like, sure, I'll fill your order. Sure, this exists. Sure, this is real, realistic. It's that perception versus reality of the story that we start to tell ourselves. And back to that dating analogy, I could tell myself all day long, this person's amazing and they're so attractive. And then the real, real happens. And you find out like what I need and what's important to me, we are polar opposites and this is not going to work. Had I held myself accountable to that up front, I wouldn't have wasted all this extra time on something that didn't serve me and my goals well. And so that's the whole thing here is go slow up front to go fast later. And you're going to find like people are afraid to have real conversations. I say this to people all the time. It's going to come out anyway. Why wait six months when it's really icky and it's going to set you back? And then I just put that out there and let people ponder. So I'll mm. do that right now. <laughs> Love it. Uh, I know you've written extensively on the whole hiring process, scorecards. Your writing process in general kind of shift gears. How do you approach it? Um, like it's it's chaotic and it's constant like i'm always thinking so i don't know is this going to be a visual thing or it, it, it we'll have both on uh on youtube and on the podcast so if you're on the podcast go over to uh go to market podcast on youtube and you'll be able to see this so this is just like an example there's more where this came from but these are the three different journals that i keep and this one that's color coded is yeah. for different content ideas when i can't go so i have three different places online that I put my ideas for content as well. But like, if it's just an idea, like, oh my gosh, I just read this article and like it inspired this thought, like I get it down. I have a notebook by my bed. True story. I've been known to wake up at like 3.30 in the morning. And the first thing I'm thinking about is content. I'm like, and I'm in like a stupor and I'm like in the dark and I'm just writing down <laughs> the idea. Um, so that's like the ideation of like, I get inspired by things all the time or some of my best content comes from real stories that either have happened to me in the past, um, happening currently, or I'm hearing about it through candidates or clients or whatever. I manage a business. It's my own business. I get pulled into a million different directions. I have to keep it down. So like, that's one is like, get it down. And if I don't add some context at the same time of like, why mm -hmm. I'll come back to a link that like I've saved and I'm like, what, what did I, what? I don't even remember. And so, um, giving myself context is really important. Uh, I take certain days or blocks of time to write, um, my LinkedIn content, for example, that comes every morning. Uh, I used to use something called buffer where I would load two weeks worth of my content and put it in. And then that started feeling wrong to me because I'm like, what I'm going to talk about in two weeks from now, may, like, let's say I did something like through the election, <laughs> like it was like something that had nothing to right. do with anything. It's like, it, it's tone deaf then. Like, I just think there's something about context and relevance and timing that's important. And so every morning I have different thoughts that go through my head and it's like, okay, so I want to talk about this today. And so it's very organic and it's very like that moment. Uh, my long form content where I get published that's really thoughtful. So like, I just, I'm, I, I have an article that's gonna go out in a couple of weeks for OpenView. 
that took me three weeks to write. So it just depends. Like it's, I have to fit it in. I'm right. kind of like a whirling dervish. Like I have so many things that go on in my business and I get pulled into a million different places and there's lots that go that, that happen. And even though I could time block, even though I could do things, if a client calls me and they say, Hey, we want to offer a job to someone that takes priority. Right. So it's like, you have mm -hmm. to constantly, I have to constantly shift it. Uh, one of my favorite writing days is Sunday. So my email newsletter goes out on a Saturday. I write it on Friday when everything else is done and I can reflect from the week back and then I share what I think. So it just depends. No, that's really good. Both the uh, organic uh, LinkedIn and but also the little format. Um, you've mentioned that you, you kind of all over, but you have really kind of thought about the long-term game and choosing where you're going to be spending your time. What's your process on where you make a decision on where you play the long game and who to play the long game with. So um, one of the reasons why I use my voice the way that I use it and I write like I talk is I want to be magnetic to people I want to spend time with. And I, I want to repel people that I don't want to spend time with. And I'm super cool at that because I know I'm not for everybody and that's okay. Uh, I subscribe to the philosophy of the faster you understand no and by the way, no doesn't have to be icky. You can be gracious. You can keep doors open. You never know where paths cross again. But the faster you understand that it's a no, the more time you have spending on the yeses. And so that's a big thing for me. Um, but when I think about like who I choose to spend time with, I don't care so much about what people tell me. I care about what they show me. I'm a big action kind of gal. And so lots of people come my way with lots of big statements but I want you to back it up. And that determines a lot uh, in terms of who I spend time with and where I spend my time. So like long game, everybody that I interact with, it automatically goes into that category. Like I don't prioritize like what's in it for me versus long game versus I'm only gonna give, you know, there's that whole analogy of like deposits versus withdrawals. Like I don't mm -hmm. keep score. I'm not a scorekeeper of like, so I commented on your post because you're a potential client five times. And now in the sixth time, I'm going to ask for the meeting. It's like, no, I just want to thoughtfully show up and show you that I care about the task at hand. And maybe I have a point of view that could be helpful. And if that might make sense for you, awesome. And if not, that's okay. Like, I don't, I don't have tactics. It's just like my recipe for success is this do the right work with the right people consistently. And it always works out. And that's never, that's never really worked against me in 20 plus years. It's a good recipe. Uh, on that, who are people you look up to? Uh, so many. So today is December 1st and it's my grandfather's mm -hmm. birthday who is no longer with me, but I think about him every year on this day and like every day, basically. I absolutely look up to him. Like he totally shaped so much of who I am. He was a, like just a giant in his business. And he was fascinating to me because he had an eighth grade education, was a depression baby, World War II fighter pilot, like all the things. So that's absolutely somebody. Uh, I look up to my husband, like he is the yang to my yang. I look up to Taryn Lanigan, who's my head of recruiting. Um, she teaches me and inspires me every single day. And like, I absolutely look up to her. Uh, I look up to Simon Sinek. 
Like I'm a big fan of it starts with why and everything that he says, like hits me straight, straight, you know, to my heart, like people in my community that I looked up, up to, there's a company called Aspireship and a woman named Christine Rogers, who's their president and COO. She's amazing. I learned from her. I'm inspired by her. My co-host for Thursday Night Sales, Scott Lease. What is a message you want to leave with people who are watching this or listening to this? There are no shortcuts. Do the work with the right people consistently and watch what happens. Stop trying to hack your way to success. Perfect. Amy, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Please subscribe and write us a review to continue to reach other listeners like you. Also, if you'd like to see other great guests and stay up to date, please join our newsletter by visiting gotomarketpodcast.com. Once again, that's gotomarketpodcast.com.